Good morning. Please turn in your copies of the scriptures to 1 John 2, verse 12. It's where we will begin. While you're doing that, I'm going to encourage those of you. Uh, first of the year, I talked about reading through the Bible. About the 1st of March is when the doldrums of March hit. And you think, I'm behind. I'm not going to make it. I, you know, uh, well, just keep reading. Just keep reading. Uh, even if it takes you longer than a year, keep reading. Because the, the temptation will be to say, I'm not going to make it, then you kind of stop. And if God is asking you to do this, then you keep reading. And you don't get so bound up when you end as that you keep doing it. So keep reading. First John chapter 2. As you can tell, we're preaching through 1 John. This is an interesting portion. I'll, I'll begin by making a notation about the text. If you look at most copies of the Scriptures, the verses 12 through 14 are indented. And they're, uh, 12 line, they're poetry. They're written in poetic form. And, and they're kind of the, this, re, you'll, you'll see it, the reiteration or an iteration of little children, fathers, and young men. And I did look at the gender of those. Um, little children is gender neutral, and actually it, it could be, the, the young men should actually, one of the ways you could translate be youth. And fathers is fathers. And so let's read that together, and we'll, we'll, re, we'll return to that. Let's read... Together, you follow along as I read. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, Young people, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. At first glance, it would appear that this, these two pieces are not connected, and they are. I, I actually believe that this is probably a sermon that John wrote, that he delivered. Uh, John is at Ephesus right now, and, and it's not written to a specific group of believers. John is an old man who has, who has probably the only one of the disciples still living at this point. And he, he is writing, and it, this is his heart and his vision for the church. Uh, the, the previous portions of John, and if you read John, 1 John, you, you notice some things very clearly. There is this idea of fellowship with God and, and with Christ. There's also a strong idea of walking in light. Love not the world, but walk in light. Darkness is passing away. The world is passing away. So, so it's contrasting those two things. But overall, 
the theme of John, 1 John, appears to be John teaching his people that there is one commandment that we all have to follow. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your brother as yourself. Your neighbor as yourself, sorry. So, so the, if, if this is the theme, to love God and to love the people that God has called us to live with, how does today's fit in? I have divided the, the, the sermon into two parts. First of all, we have this kind of reassurance. This is the poetry part. And then there is a warning or a challenge that is thrown out. So let's look at the reassurance first. You notice that the three groups of people, and he, he reiterates it, he repeats it. I am writing to you little children. By the way, um, that's the only one he changes. He uses a different word. I am writing to you little children. When he does it again at the end of verse 13, I write to you children. He uses a different Greek word, which is fascinating. The first one is, you could almost translate darlings, beloved. Uh, Funny story. I I once was with uh, an old, very stawed Mennonite preacher. You know, very, very formal. You never saw a break in that, rarely saw a break in that formality. I did later when I got to know him a little better. But if you would have seen him, uh, generally, you would have... uh, and, and it, they once stayed in our home, and I, I went to bed that night, and I laid in bed and giggled and laughed. Because, you know, sometimes you have these terms of endearment. They never had children, so you have these terms of endearment for your wife. Darling, sweetheart, honey. Even in a good fight, sometimes you'll say, honey, but anyway, it doesn't work. Um, but he kept calling his wife... This very conservative man, that woman, baby doll. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It was, but but in some ways, that kind of that sense of endearment that that represents is what this word, the Greek word, the Greek word here. I'm writing to you, little children, uh, could be beloved, or you're my children. I, I care, darlings. Or babies. I'm writing to you my babies. And because your sins are forgiven. And so he has three groups of people. He has the, the little children. Uh, so, so let's just talk about the little children. The second time it's translated children, I write to you children, that actually could mean um, adolescent or half-grown, not yet mature. So it's that first stage of life, from baby, from the little darling baby to that kind of adolescent, immature adolescent. It, it, it captures that. And then he says, I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him from the beginning. Now, fathers here is the same word, and it actually means seniors. So you could, you could say seniors. And then I'm writing, I write to you young men, and, and that word... Again, that, like I said, that, means, um, that could mean youth. So I, I was thinking about why this order, why, why little children, then fathers, and then young, and then youth. Why uh, he, he writes it, he says it twice. And the first time he writes, he says, I am writing to you. The second time he goes through it, he says, I write to you. 
actually, one of the ways you could translate that is, I have written to you. So it's saying, he's saying, I'm writing to you, and in the past I've also written to you, so you should know these things. And, and I, was, I was just thinking about that, and, and maybe, uh, I tried to look at other, what other people have looked at this, but the, 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 the three titles, the three different titles, all of us at some point in our Christian walk have been little children. And sometimes still are. And sometimes we're the darling little children, you know, in innocence coming to the Father, except you be as a little child. And sometimes we're that half-grown adolescent who is just pushing everything that there is. You, you've been there, right? As a, as a Christian. And, and all of us at, at, at some stage are, are, are more senior. We're, we, we remember who we are and we... we we are the fathers. And, and at, all, at some stage in our Christian life, as we grow, we will all be that strong youth. And so I think that what John is doing here is saying, I don't think he's writing to the little, little children in the congregation. I think he's writing to the Christians saying, you have, this is the kind of the stages of your Christian life. And in the first stage of Christian life, the most important thing to remember is that your sins are forgiven. That your sins are forgiven. That you are forgiven. Because if you remember that you are forgiven, it will actually lead you to grow. If you are constantly struggling with, am I forgiven or am I not, you will never grow. So, so it, th- th- there's a reason he, he does this very specifically. He says, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. And when he does it again, he, he says, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Who has forgiven us our sins? John has just reiterated this earlier. Who's forgiven us our sins? Who is Jesus, Jesus Christ the righteous? Uh, he is a propitiation for our sins. And so for all of us, this is a call to remember that our sins are forgiven. That Jesus cleanses us from sin. And, and then for young people, he, he says, You have overcome the evil one. You are strong. The Word of God abides in you. And as we grow into our Christian life, we need to remember that we are called to be the people who bring strength, the, the strength of God into the world. And the temptation will be to do it on your own strength. And John just says, you know what? Go with the strength of God. That's how you overcome the evil one. So remember, your sins are forgiven. And, and when you remember that, you can grow and say, I can bring something to this world that is bigger because my sins are forgiven. And then he says to the fathers or to the older ones, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him. And this is the only phrase he keeps the same all the way through. Because you know him from the beginning. Yeah, sorry, because you know him who is from the beginning. And as I grow older one of the things that I constantly kind of have to keep in front of me is that Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God does not change. In my lifetime, we have seen a lot of change. And in anyone's lifetime, I see Etta nodding her head. And, and you know, Marvin and those of us who have lived longer have seen an immense amount of change in our lifetime. And sometimes that change can be very enticing or very uh, fear-inducing. 
And, and the call to those of us who have experienced more change in life is number one, for, don't forget your sins are forgiven. Number two, you can move in the power of God in the world, but God is not changing. God does not change. You have known him who is from the beginning. And so, as we grow in our Christian life and we experience these stages, this is the call. And I was thinking about what this really does mean is that God is. God is. The common theme in these three things, forgiveness, presence, and strength, is that God is. It's the verb of being. God is. He's active. He's here. He's involved. He's present. So as we live our lives, let's not forget that God is. You're all expecting another verb. It's God is. He is. So if that is true, if God is, and because of that, because God is, do not love the world. So the, cha- the, the warning then, this is the, this is the, the first part is this kind of uh, encouragement. God is. God is present. God is active in your life. And if that is true, then do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, what is worldly? No, 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 that's not what he says. He says, don't be world. He doesn't say don't be worldly. He says, do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, notice, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this is about allegiances. The, cha- the warning then is, who are, who are your primary allegiance to? God is. Who is your primary allegiance to? The world is too. Now the world is passing away. He says that. But God is. If God is, then do not love the world. And, and I, I'm not going to, to, to try to tell you what is worldly or not. Now notice also in, in most copies of the scriptures, uh, you could read it like this. Uh, verse 16, well, begin at 15 again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. That, that those uh, three items in between there are often a parenthetical notation. They're in the original, but they're set apart. They describe what the world is. So those three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, describe what the world is. He uses the word cosmos here, but not in the term of the natural world. The natural world is not evil. God created the world good. Man comes into being and sins their way into existence, and it is this sin that he's talking about here. And he says three things, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, Desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And, uh, and again, we want to figure out specific things here. It's much bigger than that. So the desires of the flesh are, are things that are, that are purely human desires that war against God. I don't know how else to say it. There's, there's, there's good desires, the desire to know God. But there are evil desires. And evil desire and and anyone who does not belong to God, is, they may do good things, but at the end of the day, 
they don't worship, they don't recognize that God is. And when you don't recognize that God is, then you are the end. And so everything is consumed on you. So it can be entirely good things that people do, but at the core, they're motivated by what it'll bring to me. That's what he's talking about here. He's like, your desires have to change. The desires for food, the desires for uh, intimacy, the desires, all those things, they're, they're neither good nor bad. But it, it depends on, on the aim of them. Are they to be to assist in my recognition that God is, or are they to be consumed upon myself? And so the desires of the flesh are, are, can be anything, but it is the things that you do that bring self-worship, that you do to lift yourself up. The desires of the eyes, that actually would be, uh, could be translated envy. How many of you, uh, I envy sometimes. I admit it. I admit it. I envy sometimes. You do too. And, and that's, he's warning us and saying, if you're driven by envy, the desire of the eyes, what I can get, oh, I want that, oh, I, ooh, ooh, ooh. that's the idea here. You're driven by these things. And then the pride of life, um, the arrogance that the material life provides. So, so I have everything I need. I need this yet. I need this yet to make my kingdom work for me. That's the idea here. And so, again, this is not uh, rubber tires on tractors or uh, plain coats or anything like that. This is about the core motivation of what drives us. Because you notice the contrast he does this repeatedly. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So all that is in the world is not from the Father, but is from the world. There's these two sides. Which side are you? Where is your allegiance? Who do you belong to? Who do you, what do you believe about God? Is God or are you? Let's um, end by looking at the last verse. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Ha! Huh. Now he brings it kind of home and he says, okay, so all these things, the world along with its evil desire is going to pass away. They're going to be gone. Uh, it's the same, uh, same phrase as he uses uh, earlier in the chapter when he says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The world and all its desires are passing away, but the person who does the will of God lives in the forever. abides forever. We have tended to think that forever means the, qu the quantity of eternal life. It actually does. Yes, it means we live forever, but it means we live in the forever. And we, so we presently live in the forever. What does that mean? So, so when I, I was thinking about that, um, uh, in German, Luther translated this really beautifully. It says, Ableibt in die Ewigkeit. He stays in the forever. What, is it, what would it mean for us this coming week to live in the forever? Because that's, that's what he's calling us to. He says, the world is passing away with all its desires. But the person who does the will of God 
lives as though it is forever. That he is in the forever. I was, I was thinking about that and, and thinking about the fact when we say God is. There is no definition of time. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no definition of time. He just is. He will be. It means he was, he is, and he will be. And when we live with that reality that the world and its desires are going to pass away, but God is, and we can live with him in the is. So what is that? So, so anytime there is this kind of, I would call these, uh, direct applications. Do not love the world. Uh, whoever does the will of God abides forever. So those are direct applications. And, and promises are direct applications. And promises and commands call us to two things. They call us to obedience. And they call us to trust. I, ta- I think it takes trust to live with the reality that God is and will always be. And I can live in that. That takes trust. And I think that to not love the world takes obedience. And I think that all of you will be challenged with it this week. So which kingdom will you follow this week? I don't know what your week holds. I think I know what part of mine does, but it's always changing. And so when we live with that level of change and we don't know what we're going to face, we have to kind of step back and say, who am I and who will I follow? So this week, think about the fact that God is. And in that small phrase, the verb of being, we recognize that there is somebody bigger than ourselves, and that's who I follow. See, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life are all about myself. And when I follow those, I make myself God. Let's stand together.